0: I just came by to stir your soul up a bit. This is the Perfectly Imperfect Podcast with Regina and Christine, where we share our stories as women openly and honestly.
1: We believe it's through our journeys, our happy and sad times that connect us as sisters, because we're all perfectly imperfect.
0: guys and welcome back to the perfectly imperfect podcast where we have vulnerable conversations about mental health self-growth and relationships i'm regina and i am christine okay today we're just gonna get right into it because it is a heavy topic let's get down to business (laughs) yes The Mulan soundtrack that I miss so dearly. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Today we're going to talk about our evolving relationship with our families. I think that this is a topic that Christine and I have kind of touched base on, like throughout a lot of different episodes as we continue to talk about our evolving relationships with families. But I think today we really wanted to like dive deep into it, like we always do. I think that this idea is solidified more so recently because I'm nearing my 30s now. I went through a family death in July and so it's just been kind of like a deep reflective time especially during this weird year that we're calling 2020 right now but i think that it's really forced me to do some inner work on the relationship that i have with my family members and this includes you know parents aunts and uncles grandparents mm-hmm. when you're a little you look up to them you idolize them right like they can do no wrong and everything they tell Tell you, you listen. But as you start to get older and start to develop your own opinions and difference of opinions, that's when a lot of conflict arises. And I think that as you continue to get older, the more confused you get about yourself, the more you also start to see the flaws in your once heroes and learn that. Oh my gosh, my parents, uncles, grandparents are actually human beings that once had goals and dreams and you know all of those things. So today we just really wanted to get into it, really dive into what that experience was for us, what that experience still is for us, and how are we now learning to see our family members as peers rather than just like us being, you know, obedient younger members of the family.
1: Mm, Yeah, well, I definitely don't see my parents as peers. (laughs) (laughs) When you say that, that that's how you see your parents. I'm just like, oh, that's so interesting, because that's definitely not how our relationship has evolved to there's still my parents, but it definitely has Mm -hmm. evolved. So I agree. I think this is a worthwhile episode to dive into to go through and kind of track through our childhood through the years through our 20s. And now, what have we learned? What are some of the things that we have taken with us through childhood that we learned from our parents, our relationships, what they taught us about ourselves, what's okay, what's not okay, the insecurities and values. And then now as a grown adult, how we've evolved and grown ourselves and how that has affected the relationship with our Mm -hmm, parents. mm -hmm. So yeah, why don't you start us off? And it looks like we're going to go through, (laughs) just take you guys back (laughs) through, you know, all the different phases of our lives. So take us back regina to baby regina mm-hmm. <laughs> the year
0: was 1993 no. that's really
1: not that long I know. <laughs> no, I mean, well i guess it is it it's is. almost 30 years yeah. Jeez. you know and people go like oh yeah in the 90s i'm like i still remember the 90s i was like oh shoot that was 30 years that's just crying.
0: showing your age there <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay so baby, baby regina
0: <laughs> Babe or giant. Babe giant. <laughs> Back when I was a kid, I think my parents are the type of parents who have a very strong moral compass. They're very like, this is right. This is wrong. I think that as they've gotten older now, they kind of realize the gray areas and the complexities. And I think that I also learned that there's a lot of stuff that was swept under the rug that just is unaddressed. But as a kid, I was just very much so like, oh my God, this is right. This is wrong. And I think that that's still ingrained in me. Mm -hmm. And I think that in some ways they're probably pleased with themselves, (laughs) but there was definitely (laughs) like a lot of everything that they told me. I was just like, oh my God, this is the way that it is. Like it was like my Bible, right? Mm -hmm. Because when you're a kid, you don't know any better. You don't know anything, really. So whatever your parents tell you, you know to be true. They are God. They are God. Exactly. And I think that that was just like so ingrained in me and like my parents were always very good to me and very loving to me. So I think that I kind of fell under that spell for a lot longer than most kids did. Mm-hmm. Like I think that that kind of traveled into even my middle school teenage years. Like I don't think I really ever like lashed out. I may have started to talking back in like middle school but I don't think that I ever like actively rebelled because I was always like no 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 this is right this is wrong you shared with me before that like your parents discussed
1: beforehand that they weren't going to hit you all right or yeah. discipline. like that was
0: discussed and I was like oh, wow I admire that <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think that there's a lot of things that I didn't realize because one, I was an only child. I was not exposed to other human beings. (laughs) (laughs) And like a lot of my friends are also only children. So like we didn't have that like sibling rivalry or combo of like one kid being super well-behaved and one kid being really like acting out, you know? So I think that like, again, I was just very like in my own, yeah, very sheltered, very like in my own bubble. Mm -hmm. My parents always tried to get me to do all these like, like extracurriculars and things like that. And I would just try my hardest that I could, but I was always very like, quite mediocre at all of them. (laughs) But I think that it was good that I was at least tried it. My relationship with the parents was always like quite good. Like I think that even though we may not have always understood us, I think we always strive to understand one another. That's not to say that I did not have my fair share of yelling matches with my mother as every teenage girl has. But I think that during that time, when I was, you know, growing and going through all these like really awkward stages with my parents, I actually was also living with both of my grandmothers. Mm. With my two grandmothers, one of them had been with me since I was like maybe three or four. So I have a lot of memories of her when I was a child, like braiding my hair and reading me stories Mm. and teaching me songs, teaching me how to like match colors and things like that. So I had a lot of really fond memories of her. And I feel like she was always kind of like my, Safety net. If I was like fighting with my mom, she'd be like, Oh, no, 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 it's okay. You know, like she would always side with me, Mm. kind of thing. And so, in a way, I was like spoiled by that. And so, I really like loved her and I think that we had like a very special relationship that I still hold very near and dear today but I think that as children too like we get really wrapped up in ourselves and in that way I would actually say that we're extremely selfish and we're the type of people who are like no you must understand me Mm -hmm. you know and in that mindset like we're just thinking about us and how our parents should be to us as children and them being the Like they should be the ones taking care of us. Like we shouldn't have to worry about, you know, like the financial situation or what is going on in the world outside of like our tunnel vision of like, Oh my God, you know, my middle school friend is mad at me Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. getting them to like understand and sympathize with you and things like that. (laughs) Part of me was always like slightly rebellious. So I would do things that would really piss off, my dad in particular because of that strong moral compass. So I think that there are a couple lash outs as I got into like middle school, high school. But I remember getting to college and being like, oh, I told my grandma this. I was like, I haven't been yelled at by my parents in a really long time. (laughs) And she was like, well, maybe that's because you're an adult now. Mm. And that blew my mind. And I think that that's when that perspective of me being the child of the family started to kind of shift Not in the sense that like, you know, I don't still see my parents as parents. I definitely still do see them as parents and respect them in that way. There's times when we have conversations and it feels like I'm catching up with a friend or I'm talking with a friend. But I think that in that too, you start to realize like a lot of the insecurities that they had that you might not have noticed before, the doubts and fears that they had that you might not know before. And that's when you really feel like a shift in... That like, oh, child growing into an adult relationship and pivoting with your parents. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Did you feel like you experienced something like that, too?
1: Yeah. And I feel like this is why uh, sharing our experiences growing up. It's a good contrast because I'm like the exact opposite of you <laughs> <laughs> in the sense of growing up. I mean, I relate to a lot of what you're saying, but I think it just happened in different time frames. Mm -hmm. So growing up, I definitely had the same parents for God. I was very obedient. Mm. I was a very obedient child. And it developed really early on for me that I wanted to get their approval and please them in exchange for what I hoped would be love and acceptance. Mm. And this was really because, and of course, at the time I didn't know it, but then my mom really suffered from postpartum depression. Mm. She didn't know it either. So take into account, she's an immigrant. She left her entire family to come over with my dad and start a whole new life. And my dad's entire side of the family was here. And my dad's mom was just, you can imagine like the typical Asian mother-in-law who's just not nice. I would say that she's very mean, you know, (laughs) she's really, she still is, you know, and my mom was also going through thyroid health issues. So Mm. I know I touched upon this before. I myself got this from my mom, which genetics, but like I also got the hyperthyroidism, Mm. which now I understand is like your body just goes haywire. You have really little to no control over your emotions because your hormone levels are totally at least for hyperthyroidism, is like being produced at such a rate that it's just uncontrollable. Mm. You know? So it got to the point where she has it's called Graves disease, which is like really, really bad point where her eyes swelled up. Like her eyes are huge. <laughs> for an Asian person. Yeah, but because of that disease. Oh, so wow. through all of that, that was my childhood where I realized that the abuse, the physical abuse that I got from her, as well as I really developed a lot of abandonment issues because I mean, she even brought this up like not too long ago where she remembered like as early as age like three, she kicked me out of the house. Wow. And I still remember things like this where I don't understand what happened. And now looking back, I can see where it's just, it didn't have to make sense. She was Mm -hmm. suffering through a lot, but didn't make it okay. But as a child... I blame myself, mm. you know, I'm like, oh, I must have did something horribly wrong for my mom to kick me out of mm-hmm. the house. So I felt like I didn't feel safe at home. Mm. And that's stuff that I mentioned through our Instagram and stuff and touched upon. So I think through then I developed a lot of trust issues and eventually grew to, I became a people pleaser. I started to push people away to avoid rejection because I felt like I was rejected as a child. I developed a lot of guilt and shame and I could understand why I started to self sabotage and the need for control because I felt like I had no control growing up. Mm. And that's when that led to my teenage rebellious years. I think that was the part where I resonate with you, but it came out of much like when you say like, oh yeah, you set up for your moral compass. And then that would make your dad mad. Like for me, it was, I started to see the hypocrisy and what my parents would be forcing me to do mm. and how they would act themselves. I realized that at like, you know, middle school wow. where I was like, you're telling me to do all this, but it's like you yourself didn't do good in school. <laughs> you know? It just a lot of, that's where Regina was like the conflict started to develop and the internal angst. I just didn't know obviously at that age, like you just don't know, you just know you're feeling a lot of feelings. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it came from like, how come my friends can do all this and that, but I can't, even though I've done everything you oh told my gosh. me to
0: do. I have had so many <laughs> of those conversations and those were the conversations that would piss my mom off the most. Because like, you know, to be fair, I understand it from her perspective where she's like, I gave you everything. Mm. I did everything I could to, you know, give you this life that you had. And you're like comparing me to another mom. Mm. Like, are you saying that I'm not good enough? And I remember those are the conversations that she just like would blow up. And I was like, (laughs) like, I think one of them was literally as simple as like, back then I really liked having long hair, but I wanted bangs. And every time I would just like cut my bangs like horribly. (laughs) So I was like, one time I was like, mom, you know, so-and-so's mom takes her to just get her bangs cut. Like, why won't you take me to just get my bangs cut? It's like only $10. And mom was like, you want her? Like, (laughs) like it just... (laughs) It just blew so out of proportion. And I could not understand why. Looking back at it now, I probably sounded like this huge brat, which I probably was as a child. Like every child is a brat to a certain degree. But I think that like it's those little things that now you look back on and you're like, oh, I can see how that would like really trigger them. Like of all the times they've triggered us into thinking we're not good enough, we've also triggered them into thinking they're not good enough.
1: Yeah, yeah. And that's where, like you said, you start to realize how human they are, especially now Mm -hmm. in like, you know, our 30s where I'm in my 30s. But like, yeah, you really get to see how emotionally, and I use this word because (laughs) of the book that I've been reading, but they're emotionally immature because in that sense, I understand what your mom is saying. Mm -hmm. However, the way that she communicates it, just like how my parents is it's like, you know, you're talking to a teenager or your child in that way. As a grown adult, there's more effective ways to communicate that. You know, obviously Definitely. they're human beings that get triggered. And that's the part where you're just like, okay, as a grown person, I can understand that. Yeah. Um, for but sure. yeah, a lot of my teenage years were that where it's like, I would just want to go to the mall. Mm. Just like any normal teenager was with my friends after school or on the weekends. Absolutely not. My mm-hmm. parents were so strict with me. I could not do anything, you know. Not even just a sleepover because I understand that. But it was like, you know, I wanted to join drill team. Mm-hmm. This was in middle school. All my friends were in it. My mom said no because I was in a math honors. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, you know. And so I just developed this whole like no matter what I did, I just realized it would never be enough for them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And one of the catalysts to this was that I played violin ever since I was in kindergarten. Mm-hmm. Which we learned from Mike now that that is a (laughs) huge trigger for you. (laughs) It is. I mean, not as much anymore as an adult, but it has been, right? But that was something where it was like the point of contention for every fight with my mom. Because I know I picked the instrument, which is what she always went back to. She's like, I gave you a choice and you picked violin. Honestly, it didn't matter if it was violin or whatever instrument. It was how she forced me to do it. And Mm. I did not enjoy playing classical. I hate classical music. (laughs) I finally got to the point where I achieved the ultimate thing. I achieved first chair, first violin. Right, That's super hard to do. Mm -hmm. And I just thought like, yay, you know, this would be the ultimate acceptance and proudness for my parents. And I realized that they only came to one performance after that. And they brought my grandma just to show off. And that was it. It was like, I realized that there was no real support in it in the way that I expected I guess the support
0: to them was like we're paying for you to have lessons right yeah. <laughs> right but it's like expecting them to show up having them be like oh my god we're so proud of you for yeah. accomplishing this thing I've talked about for so long and then once you do it they're just like okay cool meh, meh. Yeah. like this is what you should be doing right it's like mm. bringing home the A plus and they're just like oh that's it and you're like you're <laughs> like why is
1: it not an A plus yeah. <laughs> plus <laughs> exactly exactly so I would say that at that time, I really started to see a lot of the self-sabotaging happen through my lens now because... Mm. And this was going into like high school. Yeah. This tug of war with them to get control. Mm. I really saw that was the ways that they would try to control me was the way that I was trying to fight for my freedom, essentially. Mm. But obviously at that age, I'm still a kid. Yeah. So that's when the relationship with my dad got really, really bad, like physically. I got thrown out of the house. I ran away like every other week, to be honest, you know? And then I just hung out with the wrong people, ditched all the time and all these things happen. So like, that was the point where if I could really get down to the heart of like, when conflict really started to
0: happen with my parents, when I started to push back, that was the route I chose. I feel like I really relate to what you were talking about, about like that, trying to gain control over your life in a way. Like I feel like my parents tried to groom me into this, like, instrument playing, sports playing, like artistic type of academically, like successful type of person. Looking back, I, one, I definitely did not take any of that seriously. I think my parents just made me do it and I was like, okay, cool. And I would like pretend to be asleep at the piano or like find ways to get out of it. Cause I think that that just like, wasn't what I really wanted to do. But then I don't know if I was ever exposed to something that I really wanted to do. But I think that kind of Control, I really started to feel in high school when exactly what you were saying like, all of our friends started going to the mall, and like everybody started to go to like Old Town Pasadena or like K Town. And at that time, I had never gone. And this was another one Mom, why have you never taken me to Old Town Pasadena? I didn't even. <laughs> That was like a whole other argument. But I think that there were a lot of instances in which I felt like, why wasn't I getting that experience? And so I think my form of rebelling, especially like when I had my own car, was like going to those places and not telling them. But like, it wasn't like I was drinking alcohol or doing drugs. It was literally just me being like, oh, I'm going to go here. And then I was somewhere else. And then I wouldn't tell them about it. Like after school, I'd say like, oh, I'm going to go to the mall. And at the time I was like really into K-pop and like K-dramas and stuff like that. And then my friends and I would like go to K-town and I don't know, buy posters of K-pop boys <laughs> oh or my something God. like that. What a I rebel. Know. <laughs> what a rebel. <laughs> but you I think- showed them. <laughs> <laughs> I truly did. <laughs> I definitely think that when you get to those like teenage angsty years, a lot of it does feel like... Well, why are my parents trying to control me? Why are they forcing me to do something that I don't want to do? And that's when we turn back to ourselves and we're like, oh my God, our parents like, don't even try to understand us. And like, that's when you feel that need to like really find or like create that person outside of them Mm -hmm, where you're like mm -hmm. either upset over the control that they have or upset with the way that they do things that you feel this need to like separate and go on your own and try to figure things out. And in a way, like I think that that's what a lot of college is about. But I think that the seeds are planted in high school. And I think that white media, like Disney in the 2000s media for me, or like even Nickelodeon, it always taught me that, oh, you're supposed to rebel against your parents. Like you're supposed to speak back at them and things like that. Or like, you know, it's okay to throw a tantrum about being your own individual person. At least that's what I feel like, or maybe that's what I interpreted (laughs) from those shows. (laughs) But then in the end, they always make up. So it's always seeming okay. So it's okay to rebel because everything will work out. It'll be fine. Yeah,
1: exactly. (laughs) That's so interesting, because that's definitely not the stuff that I was brought up on. (laughs) And you know, for us, it it happened in middle school. For some people, it may be happening in their 20s or 30s. Some people Mm -hmm. are like, they actually like to operate in the set of rules set for them. They can work really well under, well, I'll say for my parents, like tiger parent type of environment versus me, I couldn't. And you know, this is something I brought up to my parents in college and in my 30s and stuff. I'm like, you two are the most stubborn and rebellious people you guys don't do anything that anyone wants you to do you know so no wonder uh-huh. your firstborn child is like triple <laughs> all of this why are you guys surprised by this i would feel like you guys would be like oh my god my yeah. kid's so independent no
0: <laughs> that's the thing too like that i feel like parents don't realize that like we're exaggerated versions of yeah. them <laughs> It made so much sense, though, that when I started to fight for my
1: independence and for being stubborn in my way, Mm. they came back full force (laughs) and tried to squash that with their stubbornness and their need for control. So it was just like a combustion of all of
0: our struggle.
1: And then you just add my younger brother, who's
0: just like, (laughs) who just sits in the corner.
1: (laughs) Like my parents gave me all of that, inherited all of that stubborn and feisty passion versus my brother just got calm, (laughs) like peace, non-confrontational and a good sense of humor. So (laughs) yeah. So then take us through your college years.
0: Yeah. In my college years, there was still that need to be obedient. But I think that in that I just really wanted to make my own decisions. And in a way, now looking back, I think that that's also what fueled my move to New York, where it was just like, I needed my own space. I needed time to be my own person. And I think that's what a lot of college was. And I've touched on this before, too, where my college experience wasn't like the typical college experience that I had anticipated. And so I feel like I did spend a lot of time like running away from college. And I think I loved not having to check in with my parents. Any parents like will mess up their kids in some way. And I think that with mine, it was just that they were always so, so cautious and so, so worried and concerned about my safety as an only child as a girl that they just made me kind of like you where it's like if they tell me to go right I'm like well I'm gonna go left then Mm -hmm. but then I think part of me was like not as bold or brave as you so I would be like I'll go slightly to the left of right (laughs) (laughs) you know and like I think that that's when I showed you (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I partied a lot in college, but it was great. Like, I think that it was my first taste of freedom, but I was always too afraid to go over the line. So, you know, if I would party on Thursday, I'd be like, yeah, mom, I'll be home on Friday by 6 p.m. for dinner. <laughs> it was like I had a slight taste of freedom. but slightly then Slightly to the left. <laughs> yeah, slightly to the left. But then, you know, I'd still come home to my parents. Like if we had a really late Wong Fu shoot, they would be up waiting for me. And then, of course, like, you know, we'd end the shoot at like 10 and then Christine and I would talk until like 1 or 2 a.m., 4 a.m. even. And she would get so upset. And I think that at that time, I was just like, I don't understand. I'm an adult. I'm, you know, in my Mm. early 20s. Why can't I have my independence? Like other parents don't even care where their kids go. And you are like waiting up and like this caused like so much guilt onto me. And like, those were the arguments that I would have with my mom. Those were after our talk. (laughs) Yeah. Those are after our talk. Like I would stay up an extra half an hour being like, well, I just want to do whatever I, you know, (laughs) and I think that that's just kind of like one of the growing pains. Like, you know, I think now also being older and being a woman and just knowing what I know now, I understand why my parents were so protective. But I think that in a way too, I always felt like that's why I now struggle with who is me and who is, who my parents groomed me to be, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think that that was also part of the growing pains of college where it was like some of the things that maybe they were like, oh, this is really, really bad. I would be like, is it? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there's a ways around it, you know, and I think that that was always how I was like following the rules, but then getting away with what I could. So like Mm -hmm. that is so you to the T. I think there's so many different (laughs) ways where like, Even when we're doing pip stuff, it's like,
1: you'll do what you need to do. But then there's certain things where it's like, it's very innate in you
0: to just do it Regina's way, you know, like
1: slightly to the left.
0: Slightly to the left. Exactly. And I think that that was my way of, I guess, having control in my life because I think Uh, that for so long, I felt like I just did everything by the book, but I never did everything perfectly by the book. And so it was like, oh, well, like, why not put a spin on things if I can? And when you say by the book, it's like by your parents, book, by my parents book. And I don't think that my parents were like super tiger parenty, but I think that they were definitely very overprotective of me well, what were you afraid of if you were to totally go over the
1: line like how your parents would that?
0: that's the thing like you know when you're describing your fears and anxieties of like you know abandonment and things like that like I think I was lucky where I knew in the back of my head my parents would still be there for me but at the same time like I just was so fearful of disappointing them I think you still are. Yeah, I still am. I think that that still reads true today. So then what would
1: happen if you did disappoint them? I'm sure you have. I mean, just
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you're just a huge disappointment I'm to them. Sure, you know. Well, I think with my mom what I realize is that she's very quick to react on her emotion and I'm not. If she reacts quick with anger or yelling, then I immediately react with that as well. And so I just have a lot of memories of like, just scream, yelling, cry with my mom. Even now, like I get really snippy with her because I think that we just process things in different ways. It was to avoid that conflict, like, oh, they're not mad at me. Cool, let's keep it this way for as long as possible. Because once my dad, to be honest, like rarely got mad at me, I <laughs> yeah. can name the times that he actually like yelled at me. But I think that with my mom, she was like very easy to anchor. <laughs> but then there's something behind that too, especially if there's such a fear behind it that it still impacts Prevalente. you as a grown adult.
1: Yeah, yeah, like there's something there that beyond the fear of just anger like mm-hmm. something that you interpreted especially as a child because you know this happened to you as a child Mm -hmm. and what you interpreted from that experience. I'm not saying this for you, but for me, that's where the abandonment, where I didn't Mm -hmm. feel safe, that Mm -hmm. I didn't feel I could be me, Mm -hmm. that there's something wrong with me. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, ultimately, I think, especially as kids, we're always trying to get love and acceptance because love and acceptance equals survival
0: subconsciously, right? Food, (laughs) shelter. Yeah, Yeah, no, I definitely think that there was some of that kind of distortion where it was like, oh yeah, what if I don't perform? Form to my best abilities, like my parents won't love me anymore, or they won't care to accept me anymore. I think that there was just so much pressure for me to- As be, an only child. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. to be this like almost beacon of light for them. All of their sacrifices that they've made was worth it. And- to not live up to those expectations. I think even to this day that still kind of haunt me, even though it may not necessarily true, I guess like that is the narrative that I've kind of built inside my head. And I think that sometimes too, I'm not that into astrology, but this whole concept of like me being a Gemini and having Gemini twins is like, it rings so true because I think that there really are two parts to me that are like, super conflicted with one another. Half of me does want to be this super like goody two shoes, you know, can play any instrument and do all the sports and like go get the medical degree. And then I think there's this other part of me that's like, no, I want to create a podcast and, you know, create a clothing line and do YouTube and like all these things. And so I think that like those two ideas of who I think I am have always been conflicting. And to have my parents tell me, well, this this is the more practical route this is the route that I think you should do or like that would survive longer I think that that is something that is still like hard to shake even to this day
1: hey Christine here Everything I talk about in this episode, about my parents, my childhood, and unpacking what all that means to me as a grown adult today, really comes from the inner work I've done. And my therapist over at BetterHelp has been instrumental in this process of digging and connecting the dots with me. BetterHelp is the world's largest online counseling service. You work with licensed and accredited professionals to get the counseling you're looking for. And it's accessible, affordable, and convenient. So anyone who struggles with life's challenges can get help anytime, anywhere. I went to therapy specifically to work on my childhood trauma and how it has impacted me throughout my life. I wanted to identify the coping mechanisms and really do the work in going into those painful memories and traumas that I've suppressed and just never dealt with. My therapist at BetterHelp has helped me to see how things like guilt and shame manifest in my life now and how they have kept me in the cycle of toxic behaviors with my family. I've learned how to draw boundaries that work for me and has really made a difference, especially during 2020. BetterHelp has been the exact thing I needed to finally take the step in advocating for and investing in my own mental health. This month, BetterHelp is offering our PipFam 10% off your first month by using our Pip link at betterhelp.com/pip. It's easy to get started and financial aid is available. Again, that's betterhelp.com/pip. So take care of yourselves and sending all our love and hugs, PipFam. I think you said something really interesting about like being their beacon of light. And that's something... Dude, this is sounding like a life coaching session. This is exactly (laughs) what I do with my clients. But, you know, I think as we continue on with this episode, because I wanted to share about the things that I picked up from the book of Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents. Yes, 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 that's Um, the one. And also we recorded a Sister Advice episode about families where... I actually go into more detail about Mm. the to-dos of if you feel triggered by your parents (laughs) and all of that. But I'll bring it up as we talk about this idea of the healing childhood fantasy, Mm. as well as the role self, where these two concepts, maybe like they'll tap into something for you because it did for me to better understand what I told myself and imagine the fantasy in my head of what I had to be for my parents in order to achieve what. Mm. Because as a child, we obviously don't process things in a realistic sense, right? Everything is just like by feelings. For example, my mom going crazy and nuts, right? When Mm -hmm. I was a kid. As a child, obviously, I don't have context. I don't know (laughs) what's really happening. So you can imagine as a three, four-year-old that you're just interpreting immense anger, immense reaction to something that it must be you. Mm -hmm. I did something so bad. So therefore, Mm -hmm. I am a bad child. Mm -hmm. And of course, in that moment, like Like you said, we don't want that to happen again. (laughs) The last Mm -hmm, thing we mm -hmm. want is to be yelled at or to go through that traumatic experience again. So we develop this like fantasy or this role self of what I need to be in order for that never to happen again, you know, or Mm. to keep my parents happy or for them to love me. So we'll tap into that. But yeah, I think that's so interesting in what you share even now, right? Because that's an example of why we're doing this episode of things that we grew up through, even different stages, because this is you even in college experiencing mm-hmm. this and then how that has still impacts you as a grown adult now who's 29, even though you see them mm-hmm. as peers, there's still this like juxtaposition of like what you said. They're like your friends, but also there's another part of you that still feels very much like a child in a fear of disappointing them.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think it's one of those things too, where it's like you realize what your feelings are towards them as you grow older. I've definitely noticed this where I start to like analyze my parents a lot more, right? Exactly. Like what you were saying about reading up on them or just noticing like patterns and triggers and things like that, that become just really, really apparent to you when you're an adult, exactly how you're describing, you know, your mother yelling at you as a kid. You're like, okay, well then now that I'm an adult, I look back At the situation, and of course, I understand what she's going through, but as a child, you do not understand that. And I think that that too conflicts with the idea that, like, oh, no, 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 but our parents are gods. Like, how could they do wrong? How could they be wrong in any sense of that word? Mm -hmm. Because they were all you knew to be true for over a decade the first decade plus of your life. And I think that that's the thing that, like, a lot of us struggle with too when you start thinking about about their perspective on us, how difficult it must have been to, you know, you're in your mid thirties, I'm nearing my thirties. Like, It is around this time frame that they started having us, right? And they started assuming that role of being our God. That's so crazy to think about now that we are that age, because I think that that used to always feel so far away to me. But I think that when I start putting it into that perspective, I'm like, oh my God, I have no idea what I'm doing. Right?
1: (laughs) Why do you think I'm not having children? (laughs) Because that (laughs) never feels right. Because I'm just like... I don't have that feeling of, I guess I hear it all the time where a lot of people are like, you're never ready to be a parent. But I mm-hmm. think through my experience, see, this is something where I'm watching my parents and also their marriage mm-hmm. and how they're parents to me made me mm-hmm. really, really cautious of just, like you said, like parents will fuck up their kids in some way, right? So, like, yeah. I don't want that responsibility. That's a huge weight, you know? Because even now, you see the ramifications of how a grown adult, is still very much impacted and scarred by their childhood or even their parents, their upbringing. That can last a lifetime if it's unresolved Mm -hmm. or you don't do the work to heal. But yeah, connecting with what you're saying in my 20s is what I also realized too. It's with life experience. That you have to go through life experience on your own without your parents to be able to take in different people's values, different people's views and how they grew up. And it really just broadens your world, right? So it obviously opens this world beyond your parents being God and Mm in this bubble that you grew up in. It made me grow up. At the same time, I also experienced the whole like going back to Taiwan, even though I haven't going back to Taiwan, but this was as a grown adult now in college and really seeing how my parents grew up, what their dreams were before they had us and what they gave up and all these things and really connecting that they're human beings and I really agree yeah. where you get to the age that they were at your age and you're like oh my god would we have been friends <laughs> this is something that me and my brother have concluded that I don't think that we would have been friends with our, <laughs> with our <parents. laughs> it's just we're just I don't know we vibe differently you know maybe my dad yeah. surprisingly yeah. but definitely not my mom <laughs> <laughs>
0: I think it's so interesting to like think about that because I think in so many ways we are like our parents and in so many ways that is compatible and it's not honestly
1: and then after college I moved home and I know this is something that a lot of people experienced right Regina from coming back Mm -hmm. from New York you get a taste of independence and you're like and it's sweet it's so sweet (laughs) and it made our relationship so much better But Mm -hmm. the thing, and through reflection of preparing for this episode, I realized that even though me maturing and approaching the relationship differently really changed how good things got, what stayed constant and still has stayed constant based on my parents' side, is that when we argue, it would still just be as toxic as ever. And I remember Mm -hmm. post-college, I just felt like, wow, have we regressed back into high school again? Mm -hmm. Where I thought we were past this. But then every time we would fight, especially when I moved home, it was like, oh, and I have to check in with you again. Mm, Oh, I'll be home at this. I have to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, my parents threw out the cardigan of like, if you're going to live here, then you have to do what I say. (laughs) So that was a definite adjustment. But I threw the self-growth and self-digging in myself. Because I remember in my mid-20s, I literally bought a book. And remember, this is like 10 years ago, okay? So quarter-life crisis was barely starting to be a thing. Like, it wasn't Mm. something that was like, oh, I'm just gonna like hashtag quarter-life crisis. (laughs) Like, I was introduced to it and I was like, oh my God, this is what I'm going through, you know? And through that, realize if I want the respect as an adult, I need to start acting like one. Mm. I cannot expect them to give it to me just because I'm of age. You know what I mean? Mm. I feel like a lot of us have that where it's like, I'm going to pursue my own path. I'm not going to do what you're telling me to do. But also, can you help me with rent money? Mm. Or like, can you help me figure out life? It's like, no, learn how to do laundry on your own, you know? Like Mm -hmm. if you do all the things that add to the fact that your parents still see you as a child, they're still going to do that as a baseline because you're always going to be their child. I get that. But if you keep giving them reasons to see you as a child, then yeah, they're not going to take you seriously when you're just like, yeah, I'm taking an unpaid internship and I don't really know what I want to do in life, but I know I don't want to do what you're telling me to do. (laughs)
0: Oof, yeah, that hits hard. I mean, I definitely can relate to that too. I totally agree with you. I think that our parents will always see us and process us as kids. You know, I lived at home for a year while I was doing my master's program where I was like, no, I'm going to go out with my friends and stay out late at night and blah, blah, blah. And then like they saw it as like I was being irresponsible. So yes, again, as an adult, I understand. But I think to me, it was just like, oh, it's such a hindrance on my freedom. Right. It's it's very overbearing. I mean, absolutely.
1: What I've learned for me, what's worked for me is that even though they disagree with what my decisions have been, like, did they want me to go into a YouTube company? Like, they Mm -hmm. didn't even know what that was, you know? For most of my career, they were like, what the (laughs) fuck are you doing? (laughs) But I just realized for me, it's like, you know what? I'm not going to ask them for permission. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to do it. And in the process... Just show them. Show them mm-hmm. that this makes me happy. Show them that I can make money from it and be able to support myself and make responsible decisions instead of reckless ones. And that's the part where it's like, if that's the route that you want to take, where you're like, I don't agree with what my parents would want me to do or their values that they're setting on me, it feels overbearing and all of that, then I understand how it's like with Asian parents. Cause we're not like white people. You can't just be like, no. <laughs> I'm
0: going to live my own life, yeah. mom.
1: I just own you then, you know? Yeah. Like, I know we're not going to be like that, but it's finding the in-between where it's like, all right, it's not like you're lying to them, but just go and do it then. Then show it to them. Because honestly, I think at the end of the day, our parents just want to make sure that we're okay. Like, can you do mm-hmm. it? That's why they still treat us like children because half of them still thinks like, oh my God, can you survive? Yeah. And as women, <laughs> they want us to marry because they have the concept of, okay, if you can't survive, at least you'll have a husband who will take care of you. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. that's really why why they drive us to do these things. That's the background of it. And I think Mm -hmm. now moving into my thirties, what I've learned with my own self-growth being intentional about it too, like mental health. I'm just going to be that naggy sister where it's like, yeah, mental health guys is important because it affects your relationships. Like I would still be fighting hardcore with my parents if I didn't work on my own Mm self-awareness and things like understanding that I cannot change my parents. I need to work on or have been working on how I project and interpret situations that involve my parents as their daughter with baggage from them. Mm -hmm. So when they say something to me now, obviously it's not just about like, Christine, you need to eat more fruit. Like it's coming with years of, oh my God, my mom always says this. Nothing's ever good (laughs) enough for her, you know? Mm -hmm. That's where it's coming from. I'm projecting a lot of that and also have internalized Mm -hmm. a lot of the, I'm not good enough from them. So it's like, triple triggered. <laughs> mm-hmm. So now understanding and working on that, I have developed this expectation, which which we do with people that we care, even people that we don't know, right? This mm-hmm. expectation that we have of other people, but that's what sets you up for stress and disappointment and resentment and frustration mm-hmm. because it's out of your control. Mm-hmm. You can never control how someone reacts to you, how you want them to understand, no matter how much you explain or tailor things to them or restructure things they're their own people mm-hmm. that's what i realized in our 30s where we talk about this in this sister advice episode where something that no
0: one ever told us about was that you get to a point where you start feeling like you're the parent yes the relationship <laughs> oh my gosh yes <laughs> for sure i think that that's definitely what a lot of like this phase of like moving home and living at home has been where it's like i have newfound like ways of doing things or the way i think about things and i'm like you need to look at it from this perspective and Blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, oh my God, I can feel myself becoming them. <laughs> but I think that too, as we get older, as much as we sought to be understood by our parents, like, I think that they also want us to understand them. Like, I know that for me, especially, like, my parents used to always be like, when I was growing up, this is how our lives were. And this is what we had to endure. I remember my mom brought up the fact that she went to the countryside, oh, thousands, if not millions of times by now. But yeah. I think that now, instead of hearing that as like, a, oh my gosh, like that was a time of suffering. It's like, what did those experiences cause them? Like the trauma that that must have caused them. I feel really grateful for this time at home because I now have that time to like have these conversations with my parents about their childhood traumas and things like that and their experiences growing up. And I've learned so much. And I think that that also has made me realize like, oh, this is why they are the the way that they are. Like these are things that in the way that were instilled in us, that we're growing up from our parents were instilled into them from their parents. And, you know, with my grandma recently passing, I've been asking my dad a lot about his relationship with his parents because it was his mother that passed. And there's just so much stuff that has now been uncovered that I was like, oh my gosh. I think that his childhood was a little more traumatic because his dad got sent to a labor camp and my grandma had to take care of him and his two siblings. She must have been like, what, 23, 24 when she had already popped all three of them out and she and she was like yeah right and she had to take care of them and i think that his parents fought a lot his dad drank a lot and so because of that he being a very you know you've met my dad he's just so yeah. like responsible responsible and like always does the right thing which is great because I think that he was able to see like oh that's not what I want and pivot but I think too there's so much trauma that is still instilled in him that carries on to be true today like my mom is a fiery woman (laughs) and I think that there's a lot of ways where he's like oh I'm just gonna let her have her way because I don't want to fight the way that my parents fought Mm. and then in in a way he'll like, you know, be quiet about a lot of things or not yell about anything because he has internalized trauma. And I think with my mom too, like she, I don't know with her, I think she's just a little airheaded sometimes, but I think that that is also due to unaddressed, I think ADD or something where it's just, she's not quite focused all the time. Like she has to be doing like 800 things at a time, which I think when you combine those, the product is B. And like, you know, it's kind of going back to what I said at the beginning of the episode where it's like, we are a product of our parents and what they go through and their experiences that they try to teach us to be better, but in a way, they also (laughs) pass on some of their traumas that they experienced. And once we gain a better understanding of them, it also is like a good reflection of ourselves and why we feel certain ways because sometimes it might not even be the trauma that we experience, but the trauma that they experienced that they passed on to us. Oh, yeah. That's why it's like a
1: cycle intergenerational trauma that gets passed down unconsciously. So
0: Mm -hmm. I recently
1: had a conversation, I think last year with my dad, where he was having a heart to heart. And he always talked about my grandpa in a very like revered state Mm -hmm. and my grandpa passed away when he was 21 and then Mm -hmm. he's like oh I was his favorite child and everything and then he brought up the fact that my grandpa would like hang him upside down and beat the shit out of him and like my grandpa would go through like fits of rage and just beat my dad because my dad was as a kid already out of control (laughs) so (laughs) I was like wow the way that he even talked about it was almost just like oh as a matter of fact you know yeah he just hung me upside down and just like whipped the shit out of me my heart broke for him He said to my grandpa, he said he was like elementary school and he was just like in that tearful state saying like, did you just have me just so you can hit me? And I was like, oh my God. And then later the conversation, I was like, Dad, you know, I didn't know that you went through that. And, you know, that must have been really just traumatic, you know, especially as a kid. Yeah. I just wonder why you did that to me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You know, you know, I feel like Asian parents are like the kings and queens of like disassociative disorder where it's just like they're so able to disassociate themselves with their trauma and just see the good, which I guess is good and bad. But yeah, like in your situation where it was just like, you knew how much that hurt you. Why continue to carry that on to me? Well,
1: he said this to me, he was like, well, I didn't want you to have to learn how hard life can be the hard way. And I think that this is what we do. This is why we end up becoming our parents unconsciously. (laughs) A lot of people (laughs) say that because the patterns and the cycle gets instilled in our head. It doesn't make sense, but it's almost in this, you read love in a certain way, you understand chaos in a certain way. So then, when your parents have taught you this for my dad, he interpreted after being an adult in the self-reflection of rationalizing what his dad did, you know, Mm -hmm. in the sense of, oh, he was just trying to keep me safe, keep me disciplined. And, you know, like, I get it, you know, because my dad is out of control doing really bad stuff. Then my grandpa wants to teach him what's right. Mm -hmm. So then as a grown adult, it's like, I understand it. So then he takes the good concept of that and thinks like unconsciously so, he rages out in the same way because that's what he grew up seeing his dad doing. So that was his example. Mm. The thing is, is like, obviously the intention may be good, but the execution sucks. Mm -hmm. That's where it's like, it takes a deeper level of consciousness to be able to separate yourself and see it for what it is. Mm -hmm. So for example, I grew up when I was an intern and, you know, starting off in my career and being an assistant, I was treated like shit a lot. And there was a lot of like, oh, you gotta pay your dues in that sense. So then when I became at Wang Fu a position of authority and hiring interns and new entry-level hires, this is where I thought in my head, I'm better than what I <laughs> than I was treated, right? But I also made them pay their dues. And I realized now through self-reflection that that wasn't the right way to do it. Even mm-hmm. though the intention was like, yeah, you got to struggle. You got to like learn stuff in the way like where you can't just have stuff handed to you. And that's stuff where it's like breaking the cycle of that self-awareness of like, what is your goal? Mm-hmm. I really wanted to go into the part of what I've learned <laughs> Of the book, right? (laughs) Also, tapping into setting boundaries is really important, and this is why the part of being Asian is really hard to set boundaries because we interpret setting boundaries as "I don't love you." Mm -hmm. (laughs) The thing is, that's not true. Mm -hmm. Love is not equated to if you say no. If anything, the self-respect and understanding how to love yourself and where the boundaries are for your parents to be able to and for yourself to respect each other's boundaries. So for example, seeing your parents as grown adults now, that so much of us wanting to be responsible for them when we feel like they're making a bad decision and feeling guilt Mm -hmm. about it, like, oh, no, I don't think that's the best decision for you to like stay in your marriage. (laughs) (laughs) To me, I got to a point where was understanding that the boundary that my parents are setting is like, that's their marriage. It's not my business as much as I, as their daughter, <laughs> seemingly really what I see is best for both of them. Like respecting their boundaries. Mm-hmm. So, same thing with me, like with the boundaries mm-hmm. I set, like I have to respect my own boundaries too. But it doesn't have to be boundaries is such a big thing where if you cross my boundaries, then I'm never talking to you again. You can adjust boundaries. I think the part about the child healing fantasy, and I really want to read this to you guys, and perhaps Regina, this is an eye opener for me, but it's like as kids, we make sense of the world by putting together a story that explains our life to us. We imagine what would make us feel better and create this fantasy, a hopeful story of what will make us truly happy one day. So as kids, we think that the cure for our childhood pain and emotional loneliness lies in finding a way to change ourselves or other people into something other than what they really are, the if only So this affects us as grown adults in all our relationships and expectations we have, including our parents. Like, for example, it's like, if only my parents were like this. So we have that expectation. Or Mm. as a grown adult, it's like, if only I find someone who will be my everything, then I will never be lonely. Mm. So that in itself is manifested a lot of times through our childhood fantasy of how we felt at that age that we weren't getting or not enough and we fantasize about it and this is how we carry it over as adults and in the book they gave an example of a woman who believed that if she could make her depressed dad happy she would finally be free in her own life to do what she wanted Mm -hmm. but the truth after therapy was that she realized she was always free to live her own life even if her dad was miserable see that's the stuff i think that was really relatable to me as an asian person because it's like, yeah. Like what Regina said, I feel the responsibility to do and honor what they sacrificed in life. So therefore, if I must, quote unquote, suffer in a certain way so that they feel like they are honored or I'm respecting what they sacrifice, then so be it. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that that's the case because both can exist. Our parents are responsible for their own lives as adults. Mm-hmm. So if they get disappointed because we're not doing things a certain way that they want, that is the consequences that they deal with based off of their unrealistic expectations of who they want us to be. Mm. And we as kids do not have to fulfill that role in order for them to be happy. You know what I mean? Because that is not the key to their happiness if we have to pretend to be someone that we're not. Damn. So let me go into role self. This will dive into that. Mm-hmm. Role self is if your parents don't give you what you're looking for in some sort of shape, way or for your caretaker, and you show them your true self. This is why as kids, it's like that's the closest that we get to our true selves because we're untainted It's mm-hmm. our most innocent self. Mm-hmm. So with the role self is something that you make up in your head as a kid in order to be accepted and loved because you showed people your true self and it was rejected in a sense. It wasn't fully accepted. So, So, we developed in our heads that we had to be a certain role in our family in order to achieve, I don't know, peace or love. So, for example, like I internalized that I need to achieve, whether it's academically or in extracurricular, like violin, for my parents to accept and be proud of me. So, I played into this role self of I need to almost be perfect all the time. So by pretending what we think our parents want us to be, we think as kids that we found a way to get their love and acceptance. So in the process, we lose touch with our inner and outer reality. As an adult, we believe that this role self will keep us safe and it's the only way to be accepted. Regina, I feel like for you wanting to play it safe, wanting to be the prim and proper, what you said, this like Gemini self is because I think some of that is still played into your role self of who you think you need to be in order Mm -hmm. to be accepted. Mm -hmm. Not even by your parents anymore, but I just think generally, right? And we all have bouts of that. For me, I realized that the beginning stages of this was in my rebellious teen years, I wasn't being who I really was inside. I just didn't understand it. Mm. Since then, it's been a process to really lean in and give myself permission to express and feel who I really am inside and not feel shame or embarrassment. Because we were taught that by crying, by expressing that we felt sad or angry. And then we were told to like, don't do that. That's not Mm. okay. Mm -hmm. Then we shrink into the selves of like, okay, we can't do that. That brings shame and Mm -hmm. embarrassment. In that, I also learned that I judge myself much faster and much quicker than anyone else can because my mom used to be that voice for me. She used to criticize me right away for everything and things that I didn't think that she would criticize me for, she would. So in order to protect myself, I started to criticize myself first before Mm -hmm. she could criticize me. And it's been a process to really unlearn that. This part about understanding that you can't really have a deep and satisfying relationship with this role self because in order to have a true connection with any human being, you need to be vulnerable and you need to be able to express your true self so someone can really connect to who that really is and relate to that versus two people that are trying to pretend and play this role with each other.
0: Mm. Yeah.
1: It's tiresome to be this role because it's not really you. It's made up and you're always afraid that you're going to be discovered as a imposter. But the thing is, your true self will always come out. There's always going to be pockets where it leaks out, right? That's who you really are. Mm-hmm. And the mask slides off for a
0: second. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And I think that kind of going back to what you were saying earlier too, about like learning to separate your happiness from your parents' happiness. I think that that was also something that I don't know if this was like maybe an only child thing, but it's just like, there's only me. Yeah. In a way too, I feel like they kind of put all their eggs in my basket. And so I just strove to make them happy because I thought that that would make me happy, which it obviously does. But again, with like the internal conflict of being like, well, what if what makes them happy doesn't make me happy? Yes. Yes but then see then you're caught in
1: that like what do you do Yeah, because your role self wants to fulfill this part of yeah I am responsible for my parents' Mm -hmm. happiness and that is by doing my part of doing what they say but then the other part of you is like your true self is like but what if that's not really what makes me happy
0: Yeah, so you're caught in between my real self is by K-pop magazines in K-town yes that's really (laughs) what it is let me cut my bangs mom just (laughs) Just let me pay someone to cut them so I don't look awful School. (laughs) Yeah.
1: I'll end it with this to sum it up for me is that at this point, we're looking for an adult relationship with them, not a recreation of a parent child dynamic. Mm -hmm. So this means relating to them as a separate, independent adult versus a codependent you know my parents values are my values because of our culture the authoritative versus child relationship like we're not trying to recreate that yeah and i know our parents and i don't blame them for this but that's their default Mm -hmm. a lot of times so now you being a grown adult how do you want to live your truth and act authentically to that so that even though you are met with their, I guess, resistance, that you can walk away still feeling like you were true to yourself. And that's the part where we can find the in-between. And I think this is why it's very unique as Asian-Americans, because their parents makes us feel it's all or nothing. Like, if you don't do what we say, then... It's over, you know? And it's mm-hmm. like, okay, <laughs> it doesn't have to be that way. But you're the one that has to come up with those options. Mm-hmm, so the mm-hmm. times that say my dad is like, I'm so mad at you, never want to talk to you again. That I'm the one that as a grown adult, I'm going to be like, you know what? I'm still going to try with you, dad. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm also not going to take on your baggage as my baggage. Mm-hmm. If you feel so upset about that, I can't help that you're that upset. But I will take responsibility for the things that after self-reflection, I'm like, yeah, I shouldn't have said it. That wasn't the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And I'll leave it at that instead of making it like shame, shame, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> like it doesn't need to be that even though my dad is making me feel that way. yeah, I I'm just not going to do that. So yeah. that's the part where as a grown adult, you can choose for yourself consciously what you want your relationship to be like versus always feeling like you're under this
0: hopeless pile like, of the scope so, yeah. yeah like this tent of yeah. like what your parents dictate for you even at age 50 <laughs> yeah oh my gosh yeah i think the age 50 60 thing was like my dad with his mom like i think that there were so yeah. many things where he was still trying to prove almost like, I'm a good son. I'm a good son. And I was like, oh my God, you're 65. Like, (laughs) you know, and I think that that again is in a way too, like maybe because I saw my dad being such a good son and I'm like, well, I'm not that good of a daughter. Like, what does that say about me? Like, there's just so many layers to it that it's really, really, I think, as an adult, about being able to disassociate your own traumas from your parents' traumas. I think right there too,
1: you are a good daughter. I think yeah. the fact that we tell ourselves that we're not because of obviously the things that we know we put our parents through yeah. and that we're not perfect. But the thing is like, that's not the
0: definition of what a good daughter, or bad kid is. I think the thing too, that we're always afraid to admit to is the fact that like our parents aren't perfect either. But that's okay. Like we still love them for it, you know? And I think that that's something that I'm learning more and more every day too. Living as an adult in their home is that really trying to understand them in the way that I think I sought to be understood as like a teenager where, you know, hearing their background story, hearing their upbringing, hearing the way that they even view like something as current as like the current politics, you know, like how our country is handling COVID. Yes, I understand that, you know, a lot of these conversations can get into like arguments, but I think that the way that they think about politics and the way that they, you know, react to the news, like that tells you a lot about who they are as people too the more that you just understand your parents, the more you'll understand yourself as well. Part of being an adult really is learning to separate the two and I'm still going through it. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. I think that there's a lot of things that I feel like I still carry with me through my day to day and how I see my future even. But I think that being able to understand your parents, it builds that relationship that's closer with your parents. They had a whole life before us. And I think that that's something we often forget because we came into the world and we're like, ta-da, we're here and your whole life should be about me now. But I think that to know their history like really gives you the whole picture of who they are as human beings as individuals as people who are great that we love but who are also flawed as human beings and knowing just in general and overall that that is okay
1: Mm, mm -hmm. well said what a great way to sum up this episode i know that we can go on and on about it because even just the things that we touched upon there's so many other bullet points to it right Mm -hmm. But whatever your situation is with your parents, especially during (laughs) during this time (laughs) of the pandemic, I know relationships can be strained, but email us, DM us, send this episode to a friend if they're trying to figure out how to deal with their parents. And we love to have like discussions like this, where as a community, how can we learn from one another and especially with like immigrant parents. I feel like that's also very specific to mm-hmm.
0: Thank you guys so much for joining us for another episode of Perfectly Imperfect. I love having these conversations with you guys because we get really raw and you can tell that even as we're having these conversations, we're like analyzing each other and yeah. each other's traumas. And I think that it helps us realize a lot of things. So we hope that, you know, these conversations are ones that you can continue to have in your own personal life, or maybe this inspired you to sit down with your parents and, ask them questions that you wouldn't have normally done. And if you guys didn't know, we have untold stories journals that we will link it down in the description below. They are these beautiful faux leather journals, and we really, really encourage you to use them to write your untold stories. So check out the link in our bio to purchase one and support our podcast so we can keep creating content for you guys.
1: Yay! All right, we'll talk to you guys next time. Bye.